just reminding you. We have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean. Look cool. Have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Once again, we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hey everyone, welcome back to 
People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. It's one of our reading episodes, and this episode we will be going through, let's see, it's the Renkitink, Rintinkatink, oh, you know, our reader does it way better than I do, Rintinkatink in Oz. So yeah, this is, what, the 7th, 8th, 12th book in the Oz series? It's getting in there, we're getting in there, yeah. And I'm going to chop this up into 12 parts, so there's going to be two two chapters each, each, each episode. So, hey, we've got that for the month of October, and maybe I'll throw in some ghost stories at the end of the month. Don't hold me to any of that, because I'm not 100% sure how October is going to go. And if you are lucky enough, at the very beginning of October, H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, and there is also going to be a second H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival that's going to be less in person and more of a streaming thing. Check us out on there. Dave's got some stuff going on on that. I'm going to have some stuff going on on that. And also, I'd like to welcome our newest sponsor, Taza Chocolate, Stone Ground Chocolate. And you know what? This is super minimally processed. If you're like me and you have a bunch of food allergies, you can't do dairy, they have dairy-free chocolates. They, they, they use dairy alternatives, uh, minimally processed, of course, organic. I love them. You love them. Taza Chocolates, they, they come in those discs that you can break up and put into hot beverages and stir up. Ooh, I love it so much. Anyway, Oz. So why not, I don't know, sit down with a nice warm beverage. We've got the tea that you can get. We've got the coffee you can get. I don't know, maybe microwave some psychedelic water, baby. All right, here's some Oz. Let's get weird. Chapter 17, The Gnome King. The kingdom of the gnomes does not border on the Nonestic Ocean, from which it is separated by the kingdom of Rinkitink and the country of the Wheelers, which is a part of the land of Ev. Rinkitink's country is separated from the country of the gnomes by a row of high and steep mountains, from which it extends to the sea. The country of the Wheelers is a sandy waste that is open on one side to the Nonestic Ocean, and on the other has no barrier to separate it from the gnome country. Therefore, it was on the coast of the Wheelers that King Kos landed, in a spot quite deserted by any of the curious inhabitants of that country. The gnome country is very large in extent, and is only separated from the land of Oz on its eastern borders by a deadly desert that cannot be crossed by mortals unless they are aided by the fairies or by magic. The gnomes are a numerous and mischievous people, living in underground caverns of wide extent, connected one with another by arches and passages. The word gnome means one who knows, and these people are so called because they know where all the gold and silver and precious stones are hidden in the earth, a knowledge that no other living creatures share with them. The gnomes are busy people, constantly digging up gold in one place and taking it to another place where they secretly bury it, and perhaps this is the reason they alone know where to find it. The gnomes are ruled, at the time of which I write, by a king named Calico. King Goss had expected to be pursued by Inga in his magic boat. So he made all the haste possible, urging his forty rowers to their best efforts night and day. To his joy, he was not overtaken, 
but landed on the sandy beach of the wheelers on the morning of the eighth day. The forty rowers were left with the boat, while Queen Cor and King Goss, with their royal prisoners who were still chained, began the journey to the Gnome King. It was not long before they passed the sands that reached the rocky country belonging to the gnomes, but they were still a long way from the entrance to the underground caverns in which lived the Gnome King. There was a dim path, winding between stones and boulders, over which the walking was quite difficult, especially as the path led up hills that were small mountains, and then down steep and abrupt slopes, where any misstep might mean a broken leg. Therefore it was the second day of the journey before they climbed halfway up a rugged mountain, and found themselves at the entrance of the Gnome King's caverns. On their arrival the entrance seemed free and unguarded, but Goss and Kor had been there before, and they were too wise to attempt to enter without announcing themselves, for the passage to the caves was full of traps and pitfalls. So King Goss stood still and shouted, and in an instant they were surrounded by a group of crooked gnomes who seemed to have sprung from the ground. One of these had very long ears, and was called the Long-Eared Hearer. He said, I heard you coming early this morning. Another had eyes that looked in different directions at the same time, and were curiously bright and penetrating. He could look over a hill or around a corner, and was called the Lookout. Said he, I saw you coming yesterday. Then, said King Goss, perhaps King Calico is expecting us. It is true, replied another gnome, who wore a gold collar around his neck, and carried a bunch of golden keys. The mighty gnome king expects you, and bids you follow me to his presence. With this he led the way into the caverns, and Goss and Kor followed, dragging their weary prisoners with them, for poor King Kittycut and his gentle queen had been obliged to carry all through the tedious journey the bags of gold and jewels which were to bribe the gnome king to accept them as slaves. Through several long passages the guide led them, and at last they entered a small cavern, which was beautifully decorated and set with rare jewels that flashed from every part of the wall, floor, and ceiling. This was a waiting-room for visitors, and there their guide left them, while he went to inform King Calico of their arrival. Before long they were ushered into a great domed chamber, cut from the solid rock, and so magnificent, that all of them, the King and Queen of Pingaree and the King and Queen of Regos and Corrigos, drew long breaths of astonishment and opened their eyes as wide as they could. In an ivory throne sat a little round man, who had a pointed beard and hair that rose to a tall curl on top of his head. He was dressed in silken robes, richly embroidered, which had large buttons of cut rubies. On his head was a diamond crown, and in his hand he held a golden scepter with a big jeweled ball at one end of it. 
This was Kaliko, the king and ruler of all the gnomes. He nodded pleasantly enough to his visitors and said in a cheery voice, "'Well, your majesties, what can I do for you?' "'It is my desire,' answered King Goss respectfully, "'to place in your care two prisoners, whom you now see before you. "'They must be carefully guarded to prevent them from escaping, "'for they have the cunning of foxes, and are not to be trusted. "'In return for this favor I am asking you to grant, "'I have brought your majesty valuable presents of gold and precious gems.' He then commanded Kitticut and Garee to lay before the Gnome King the bags of gold and jewels, and they obeyed, being helpless. "'Very good,' said King Kaliko, nodding approval, for, like all the gnomes, he loved treasures of gold and jewels. "'But who are the prisoners you have brought here, and why do you place them in my charge instead of guarding them yourself? They seem gentle enough, I am sure.' The prisoners, returned King Goss, are the king and queen of Pingaree, a small island north of here. They are very evil people and came to our islands of Regos and Karigos to conquer them and slay our poor people. Also they intended to plunder us of all our riches, but by good fortune we were able to defeat and capture them. However, they have a son who is a terrible wizard and who, by magic art, is trying to find this awful king and queen of Pingaree, and to set them free, that they may continue their wicked deeds. Therefore, as we have no magic to defend ourselves with, we have brought the prisoners to you for safekeeping. "'Your Majesty,' spoke up King Kitticut, addressing the Gnome King with great indignation, "'do not believe this tale. I implore you, it is all a lie.' "'I know it,' said Kaliko. "'I consider it a clever lie, though, "'because it is woven without a thread of truth. "'However, that is none of my business. "'The fact remains that my good friend King Goss "'wishes to put you in my underground caverns "'so that you will be unable to escape. "'And why should I not please him in this little matter?' Goss is a mighty king and a great warrior, while your island of Pingaree is desolated and your people scattered. In my heart, King Kitticut, I sympathize with you, but as a matter of business policy, we powerful kings must stand together and trample the weaker ones under our feet. King Kitticut was surprised to find the king of the gnomes so candid and so well informed and he tried to argue that he and his gentle wife did not deserve their cruel fate, and that it would be wiser for Kaliko to side with them than with the evil king of Regos. But Kaliko only shook his head and smiled, saying, "'The fact that you are a prisoner, my poor Kitticut, is evidence that you are weaker than King Goss, and I prefer to deal with the strong. By the way,' he added, turning to the king of Regos, have these prisoners any connection with the land of Oz? Why do you ask? said Goss. Because I dare not offend the Oz people, was the reply. I am very powerful, as you know, but Ozma of Oz is far more powerful than I. 
Therefore, if this king and queen of Pingaree happened to be under Ozma's protection, I would have nothing to do with them. I assure your majesty that the prisoners have nothing to do with the Oz people, Gauz hastened to say, and Kittycut, being questioned, admitted that this was true. But how about that wizard you mentioned? asked the Nome King. Oh, he is merely a boy, but he is very ferocious and obstinate and he is assisted by a little fat sorcerer called Rinkitink and a talking goat. Oh, a talking goat, you say? That certainly sounds like magic, and it also sounds like the land of Oz, where all the animals talk, said Kaliko with a doubtful expression. But King Goss assured him the talking goat had never been to Oz. As for Rinkitink, whom you call a sorcerer, continued the Nome King. He is a neighbor of mine, you must know, but as we are cut off from each other by high mountains beneath which a powerful river runs, I have never yet met King Rinkitink, but I have heard of him, and from all reports he is a jolly rogue and perfectly harmless. However, in spite of your false statements and misrepresentations, I will earn the treasure you have brought me, by keeping your prisoners safe in my caverns. Make them work, advised Queen Cor. They are rather delicate, and to make them work will make them suffer delightfully. I'll do as I please about that, said the Nome King sternly. Be content that I agree to keep them safe. The bargain being thus made and concluded, Kaliko first examined the gold and jewels, and then sent it away to his royal storehouse, which was well filled with like treasure. Next the captives were sent away in charge of the gnome with the golden collar and keys, whose name was Clink, and he escorted them to a small cavern and gave them a good supper. "'I shall lock your door,' said Clink, "'so there is no need of your wearing those heavy chains any longer.' He therefore removed the chains, and left King Kittycut and his queen alone. This was the first time since the Northmen had carried them away from Pingaree that the good king and queen had been alone together and free of all bonds, and as they embraced lovingly and mingled their tears over their sad fate, they were also grateful that they had passed from the control of the heartless King Goss into the more considerate care of King Kaliko. They were still captives, but they believed they would be happier in the underground caverns of the gnomes than in Regos and Corrigos. Meanwhile, in the king's royal cavern, a great feast had been spread. King Goss and Queen Cor, having triumphed in their plot, were so pleased that they held high revelry with the jolly gnome king until a late hour that night, and the next morning having cautioned Kaliko not to release the prisoners under any consideration without their orders, the king and queen of Regos and Corrigos left the caverns of the gnome. Welcome to Innsmouth, stranger. Hi, I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour 
of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. This month's bandwidth is brought to you by Psychedelic Water. Legal psychedelics suspended in green tea and then put inside of a can for you. Psychedelic water. Who needs a Tillinghast resonator when you've got psychedelic water? Are you a curvy girl? Do you know a curvy girl? You love a curvy girl. Check out the show links for curvy girl. Plus size clothing for plus size women. Oh, Larry. Find, find student instruments, beginner's instruments. If you want to modify a guitar, check out Glary. If you want to get into guitars, if you love guitars, Things from another world. It's a store that has art. It has toys. It has comics, graphic novels. It is the place if you like that kind of stuff. Dave and I have talked about it in the show before. They were ever a sponsor. Dave likes to check out their stuff. I like to check out their stuff. They're pretty cool. Toys, art, graphic design. Not graphic design, graphic novels. For you, things from another world. Check out the show notes. Uh, check out the links on, on our website, PGPTCM. We've got specific stuff there to let you know what they've got going on for specials. Anyway, thank you again so much. Did you know that there is a THC derivative that's legal called Delta 8? Not to be confused with the Delta variant, but Delta 8. Yeah. Uh, you can get it in chewable form, and it's sold at. Uh, what's what's Golden Goat CBD, one of our sponsors? Yeah, you can get some Delta 8, and you can also pick up some CBD chewables gummies. They've got smokables for the Delta 8, and they've got all kinds of stuff for CBD, and they can help you out. Uh, check the show notes, Golden Goat. And while you're in the show notes, hey, do you know about Donner? Donner has so many amazing musical instruments from all kinds, mandolins, banjos, they've got drums, they've got amplifiers, they've got guitars, they've got all kinds of stuff, and they ship worldwide. Check out Donner. I think you're going to like it, and I think Donner's going to have a good deal for you. So I, I love their electric guitars. A lot of the music that I perform for the show is either on one brand or it's on a Donner. So check out Donner. 
and check out some savings. All right. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Chapter 18 Inga Parts with His Pink Pearl The White Pearl guided Inga truly in his pursuit of the boat of King Goss, but the boy had been so delayed in sending his people home to Pingaree that it was a full day after Goss and Cor landed on the shore of the Wheeler country that Inga's boat arrived at the same place. There he found the forty rowers guarding the barge of Queen Cor, and although they would not or could not tell the boy where the king and queen had taken his father and mother, the White Pearl advised him to follow the path to the country and the caverns of the gnomes. Rinky-Tink didn't like to undertake the rocky and mountainous journey, even with Bill-Bill to carry him, but he would not desert Inga, even though his own kingdom lay just beyond a range of mountains which could be seen towering southwest of them. So the king bravely mounted the goat, who always grumbled, but always obeyed his master, and the three set off at once for the caverns of the gnomes. They traveled just as slowly as Queen Cor and King Goss had done, so when they were about halfway, they discovered the king and queen coming back to their boat. The fact that Goss and Cor were now alone proved that they had left Inga's father and mother behind them, so at the suggestion of Rinky-Tink, the three hid behind a high rock until the king of Regos and the queen of Corrigos, who had not observed them, had passed them by. Then they continued their journey, glad that they had not again been forced to fight or quarrel with their wicked enemies. "'We might have asked them, however, what they had done with your poor parents,' said Rinky-Tink. "'Never mind,' answered Inga. "'I am sure the White Pearl will guide us aright.' For a time they proceeded in silence, and then Rinky-Tink began to chuckle with laughter in the pleasant way he was wont to do before his misfortune came upon him. "'What amuses your majesty?' inquired the boy. <laughs> "'The thought of how surprised my dear subjects would be if they realized how near to them I am, and yet how far away. I have always wanted to visit the gnome country, which is full of mystery and magic and all sorts of adventures.' But my devoted subjects forbade me to think of such a thing, fearing I would get hurt or enchanted. "'Are you afraid, now that you are here?' asked Inga. Mm, "'A little, but not much, for they say the new known king is not as wicked as the old king used to be. Still, we are undertaking a dangerous journey, and I think you ought to protect me 
by lending me one of your pearls. Inga thought this over, and it seemed a reasonable request. Which pearl would you like to have? asked the boy. Well, let us see, returned Rikitink. You may need strength to liberate your captive parents, so you must keep the blue pearl, and you will need the advice of the white pearl, so you had best keep that also. But in case we should be separated, I would have nothing to protect me from harm, so you ought to lend me the pink pearl. Very well, agreed Inga, and sitting down upon a rock, he removed his right shoe, and, after withdrawing the cloth from the pointed toe, took out the pink pearl, the one which protected from any harm the person who carried it. Where can you put it to keep it safely? he asked. In my vest pocket, replied the king. The pocket has a flap to it, and I can pin it down in such a way that the pearl cannot get out and become lost. As for robbery, no one with evil intent can touch my person while I have the pearl. So Inga gave Rinkitink the pink pearl, and the little king placed it in the pocket of his red and green brocaded velvet vest, pinning the flap of the pocket down tightly. They now resumed their journey, and finally reached the entrance to the Gnome King's caverns. Placing the white pearl to his ear, Inga asked, "'What shall I do now?' And the voice of the pearl replied, "'Clap your hands together four times, and call aloud the word clink. Then allow yourselves to be conducted to the Gnome King, who is now holding your father and mother captive.' Inga followed these instructions, and when Clink appeared in answer to his summons, the boy requested an audience of the Gnome King. So Clink led them into the presence of King Kaliko, who was suffering from a severe headache, due to his revelry the night before, and therefore was unusually cross and grumpy. "'I know what you come for,' said he, before Inga could speak. You want to get the captives from Regos away from me, but you can't do it, so you'd best go away again. The captives are my father and mother, and I intend to liberate them, said the boy firmly. The king stared hard at Inga, wondering at his audacity. Then he turned to look at Rinkitink and said, I suppose you are the king of Gilgad which is the kingdom of Rinkitink. "'You've guessed it the first time,' replied Rinkitink. "'How round and fat you are!' exclaimed Kaliko. <laughs> "'I was just thinking how fat and round you are,' said Rinkitink. "'Really, King Kaliko, we ought to be friends. We're so much alike in everything but disposition and intelligence.' Then he began to chuckle, while Kaliko stared hard at him, not knowing whether to accept his speech as a compliment or not. And now the gnome's eyes wandered to Bilbil, -Bil, and he asked, "'Is that your talking goat?' Bilbil -Bil met the gnome king's glowering look with a gaze equally surly and defiant, while Rinkitink answered, "'It is, your majesty.' "'Can he really talk?' asked Kaliko curiously. He can, 
but the best thing he does is to scold. Talk to his majesty, Bilbil. But Bilbil remained silent and would not speak. Do you always ride upon his back? continued Kaliko, questioning Rinkitink. Yes, was the answer, because it is difficult for a fat man to walk for, as perhaps you know from experience. That is true, said Kaliko. Get off the goat's back and let me ride him for a while, to see how I like it. Perhaps I'll take him away from you to ride through my caverns. Rinkitink chuckled softly as he heard this, but at once got off Bilbil's back and let Kaliko get on. The Gnome King was a little awkward, but when he was firmly astride the saddle, he called in a loud voice, Giddy-ap! When Bilbil paid no attention to the command and refused to stir, Kaliko kicked his heels viciously against the goat's body, and then Bilbil made a sudden start. He ran swiftly across the great cavern until he had almost reached the opposite wall when he stopped so abruptly that King Kaliko sailed over his head and bumped against the jeweled wall. He bumped so hard that the points of his crown were all mashed out of shape, and his head was driven far into the diamond-studded band of the crown so that it covered one eye and part of his nose. Perhaps this saved Kaliko's head from being cracked against the rock wall, but it was hard on the crown. Bilbil was highly pleased at the success of his feat, and Rinkitink laughed merrily at the Gnome King's comical appearance. But Kaliko was muttering and growling as he picked himself up and struggled to pull the battered crown from his head and it was evident that he was not in the least amused. Indeed, Inga could see that the king was very angry, and the boy knew that the incident was likely to turn Kaliko against the entire party. The Gnome King sent Clink for another crown, and ordered his workmen to repair the one that was damaged. While he waited for the new crown, he sat regarding his visitors with a scowling face, and this made Inga more uneasy than ever. Finally, when the new crown was placed upon his head, King Kaliko said, "'Follow me, strangers,' and led the way to a small door at one end of the cavern. Inga and Rinkitink followed him through the doorway and found themselves standing on a balcony that overlooked an enormous domed cave, so extensive that it seemed miles to the other side of it. All around this circular cave, which was brilliantly lighted from an unknown source, were arches connected with other caverns. Kaliko took a gold whistle from his pocket and blew a shrill note that echoed through every part of the cave. Instantly gnomes began to pour in through the side arches in great numbers, until the immense space was packed with them as far as the eye could reach. All were armed with glittering weapons of polished silver and gold, and Inga was amazed that any king could command so great an army. They began marching and counter-marching in a very orderly array, 
until another blast of the gold whistle sent them scurrying away as quickly as they had appeared. And as soon as the great cave was again empty, Calico returned with his visitors to his own royal chamber, where he once more seated himself upon his ivory throne. "'I have shown you,' said he to Inga, "'a part of my bodyguard. The royal armies, of which this is only a part, are as numerous as the sands of the ocean, and live in many thousands of my underground caverns. You have come here thinking to force me to give up the captives of King Goss and Queen Kor, and I wanted to convince you that my power is too mighty for anyone to oppose. I am told that you are a wizard, and depend upon magic to aid you. But you must know that the gnomes are not mortals, and understand magic pretty well themselves. So if we are obliged to fight magic with magic, the chances are that we are a hundred times more powerful than you can be. Think this over carefully, my boy, and try to realize that you are in my power. I do not believe you can force me to liberate King Kitticut and Queen Garee, and I know that you cannot coax me to do so, for I have given my promise to King Goss. Therefore, as I do not wish to hurt you, I ask you to go away peaceably and let me alone. Forgive me if I do not agree with you, King Caligo, answered the boy. However difficult and dangerous my task may be, I cannot leave your dominions until every effort to release my parents has failed and left me completely discouraged. Very well, said the king, evidently displeased. I have warned you, and now if evil overtakes you, it is your own fault. Ah, I have a headache today, so I cannot entertain you properly, according to your rank. But Clink will attend you to my guest chambers, and tomorrow I will talk with you again. This seemed a fair and courteous way to treat one's declared enemies, so they politely expressed the wish that Calico's headache would be better, and followed their guide, Clink, down a well-lighted passage and through several archways, until they finally reached three nicely furnished bedchambers, which were cut from solid gray rock and well-lighted and aired by some mysterious method known to the gnomes. The first of these rooms was given King Rinkitink, the second was Inga's, and the third was assigned to Bilbil the goat. There was a swinging rock door between the third and second rooms, and another between the second and first, which also had a door that opened upon the passage. Rinkitink's room was the largest, so it was here that an excellent dinner was spread by some of the gnome servants, who, in spite of their crooked shapes, proved to be well-trained and competent. "'You are not prisoners, you know,' said Clink. "'Neither are you welcome guests, having declared your purpose to oppose our mighty king and all his hosts. But we bear you no ill-will, and you are to be well-fed and cared for as long as you remain in our caverns.' Eat hearty, sleep tight, and pleasant dreams to you. 
Saying this, he left them alone, and at once Rinky-Tink and Inga began to counsel together as to the best means to liberate King Kitty-Cut and Queen Garee. The White Pearl's advice was rather unsatisfactory to the boy just now, for all that the voice said in answer to his questions was, Be patient, brave, and determined. Rinky-Tink suggested that they try to discover in what part of the series of underground caverns Inga's parents had been confined, as that knowledge was necessary before they could take any action. So together they started out, leaving Bilbil asleep in his room, and made their way, unopposed, through many corridors and caverns. In some places were great furnaces, where gold dust was being melted into bricks. In other rooms workmen were fashioning the gold into various articles and ornaments. In one cavern immense wheels revolved, which polished precious gems, and they found many caverns used as storerooms, where treasure of every sort was piled high, and they came to the barracks of the army and the great kitchens. There were gnomes everywhere, countless thousands of them but none paid the slightest heed to the visitors from the earth's surface. Yet, although Inga and Rinkitink walked until they were weary, they were unable to locate the place where the boy's father and mother had been confined, and when they tried to return to their own rooms, they found that they had hopelessly lost themselves amid the labyrinth of passages. However, Clink presently came to them, laughing at their discomfiture, had led them back to their bedchambers. Before they went to sleep, they carefully barred the door from Rinkitink's room to the corridor, but the doors that connected the three rooms one with another were left wide open. In the night Inga was awakened by a soft grating sound that filled him with anxiety because he could not account for it. It was dark in his room the light having disappeared as soon as he got into bed. But he managed to feel his way to the door that led to Rinkitink's room, and found it tightly closed and immovable. Then he made his way to the opposite door leading to Bilbil's room, to discover that also had been closed and fastened. The boy had a curious sensation that all of his room, the walls, floor, and ceiling, were slowly whirling as if on a pivot, and it was such an uncomfortable feeling that he got into bed again, not knowing what else to do. And as the grating noise had ceased and the room now seemed stationary, he soon fell asleep again. When the boy wakened after many hours, he found the room again light. So he dressed himself and discovered that a small table containing a breakfast that was smoking hot, had suddenly appeared in the center of his room. He tried the two doors, but finding that he could not open them, he ate some breakfast, thoughtfully wondering who had locked him in and why he had been made a prisoner. Then he again went to the door which he thought led to Rinkitink's chamber, and to his surprise the latch lifted easily and the door swung open. Before him was a rude corridor hewn in the rock and dimly lighted. It did not look inviting, so Inga closed the door, 
puzzled to know what had become of Rinkitink's room and the king, and went to the opposite door. Opening this, he found a solid wall of rock confronting him, which effectually prevented his escape in that direction. The boy now realized that King Kaliko had tricked him, and while professing to receive him as a guest, had plotted to separate him from his comrades. One way had been left, however, by which he might escape, and he decided to see where it led to. So, going to the first door, he opened it, and ventured slowly into the dimly lighted corridor. When he had advanced a few steps, he heard the door of his room slam shut behind him. He ran back at once, but the door of rock fitted so closely into the wall that he found it impossible to open it again. That did not matter so much, however, for the room was a prison, and the only way of escape seemed ahead of him. Along the corridor he crept, until, turning a corner, he found himself in a large, domed cavern that was empty and deserted. Here also was a dim light that permitted him to see another corridor at the opposite side. So he crossed the rocky floor of the cavern and entered a second corridor. This one twisted and turned in every direction, but was not very long. So soon the boy reached a second cavern, not as large as the first. This he found vacant also, but it had another corridor leading out of it, so Inga entered that. It was straight and short, and beyond was a third cavern, which differed little from the others except that it had a strong iron grating at one side of it. All three of these caverns had been roughly hewn from the rock, and it seemed they had never been put to use, as had all the other caverns of the gnomes he had visited. Standing in the third cavern, Inga saw what he thought was still another corridor at its farther side, so he walked toward it. This opening was dark, and that fact, and the solemn silence all around him, made him hesitate for a while to enter it. Upon reflection, however, he realized that unless he explored the place to the very end, he could not hope to escape from it. So he boldly entered the dark corridor and felt his way cautiously as he moved forward. Scarcely had he taken two paces when a crash resounded back of him, and a heavy sheet of steel closed the opening into the caverns from which he had just come. He paused a moment, but it still seemed best to proceed, and as Inga advanced in the dark, holding his hands outstretched before him to feel his way, Handcuffs fell upon his wrists and locked themselves with a sharp click, and an instant later he found he was chained to a stout iron post set firmly in the rock floor. The chains were long enough to permit him to move a yard or so in any direction, and by feeling the walls he found he was in a small, circular room that had no outlet except the passage by which he had entered and that was now closed by a door of steel. This was the end of the series of caverns and corridors. It was now that the horror of his situation occurred to the boy with full force. 
but he resolved not to submit to his fate without a struggle, and realizing that he possessed the blue pearl, which gave him marvelous strength, he quickly broke the chains and set himself free of the handcuffs. Next he twisted the steel door from its hinges, and, creeping along the short passage, found himself in the third cave. But now the dim light which had before guided him had vanished. Yet on peering into the gloom of the cave, he saw what appeared to be two round disks of flame, which cast a subdued glow over the floor and walls. By this dull glow he made out the form of an enormous man, seated in the center of the cave, and he saw that the iron grating had been removed, permitting the man to enter. The giant was unclothed, and its limbs were thickly covered with coarse red hair. The round disks of flame were its two eyes, and when it opened its mouth to yawn, Inga saw that its jaws were wide enough to crush a dozen men between the great rows of teeth. Presently the giant looked up and perceived the boy crouching at the other side of the cavern, so he called out in a hoarse, rude voice, Come hither, my pretty one. We will wrestle together, you and I. And if you succeed in throwing me, I will let you pass through my cave. The boy made no reply to the challenge. He realized he was in dire peril, and regretted that he had lent the pink pearl to King Rinkitink. But it was now too late for vain regrets although he feared that even his great strength would avail him little against this hairy monster, for his arms were not long enough to span a fourth of the giant's huge body, while the monster's powerful limbs would be likely to crush out Inga's life before he could gain the mastery. Therefore the prince resolved to employ other means to combat this foe, who had doubtless been placed there to bar his return. Retreating through the passage, he reached the door where he had been chained and wrenched the iron post from its socket. It was a foot thick and four feet long, and being of solid iron was so heavy that three ordinary men would have found it hard to lift. Returning to the cavern, the boy swung the great bar above his head and dashed it with mighty force full at the giant. The end of the bar struck the monster upon its forehead, and with a single groan it fell full length upon the floor and lay still. When the giant fell, the glow from his eyes faded away and all was dark. Cautiously, for Inga was not sure the giant was dead, the boy felt his way toward the opening that led to the middle cavern. The entrance was narrow, and the darkness was intense. But feeling braver now, the boy stepped boldly forward. Instantly the floor began to sink beneath him, and in great alarm he turned and made a leap that enabled him to grasp the rocky sides of the wall and regain a footing in the passage through which he had just come. Scarcely had he obtained this place of refuge, when a mighty crash resounded throughout the cavern, and the sound of a rushing torrent came from far below. Inga felt in his pocket and found several matches, 
one of which he lighted and held before him. While it flickered, he saw that the entire floor of the cavern had fallen away, and knew that had he not instantly regained his footing in the passage, he would have plunged into the abyss that lay beneath him. By the light of another match, he saw the opening at the other side of the cave, and the thought came to him that possibly he might leap across the gulf. Of course, this could never be accomplished without the marvelous strength lent him by the blue pearl, but Inga had the feeling that one powerful spring might carry him over the chasm into safety. He could not stay where he was, that was certain, so he resolved to make the attempt. He took a long run through the first cave and the short corridor. Then, exerting all his strength, he launched himself over the black gulf of the second cave. Swiftly he flew, and, although his heart stood still with fear, only a few seconds elapsed before his feet touched the ledge of the opposite passageway, and he knew he had safely accomplished the wonderful feat. Only pausing to draw one long breath, Inga quickly traversed the crooked corridor that led to the last cavern of the three. But when he came in sight of it, he paused abruptly, his eyes nearly blinded by a glare of strong light which burst upon them. Covering his face with his hands, Inga retreated behind a projecting corner of rock, and by gradually getting his eyes used to the light, he was finally able to gaze without blinking upon the strange glare that had so quickly changed the condition of the cavern. When he had passed through this vault, it had been entirely empty. Now the flat rock floor was covered everywhere with a bed of glowing coals, which shot up little tongues of red and white flames. Indeed, the entire cave was one monster furnace, and the heat that came from it was fearful. Inga's heart sank within him as he realized the terrible obstacle placed by the cunning Gnome King between him and the safety of the other caverns. There was no turning back, for it would be impossible for him again to leap over the gulf of the second cave, the corridors at this side being so crooked that he could get no run before he jumped. Neither could he leap over the glowing coals of the cavern that faced him, for it was much larger than the middle cavern. In this dilemma he feared his great strength would avail him nothing, and he bitterly reproached himself for parting with the pink pearl which would have preserved him from injury. However, it was not in the nature of Prince Inga to despair for long. His past adventures, having taught him confidence and courage, sharpened his wits and gave him the genius of invention. He sat down and thought earnestly on the means of escape from his danger, and at last a clever idea came to his mind. This is the way to get ideas. Never let the adverse circumstances discourage you, but to believe there is a way out of every difficulty which may be found by earnest thought. There were many points and projections of rock in the walls of the crooked corridor in which Inga stood, and some of these rocks had become cracked and loosened, although still clinging to their places. 
the boy picked out one large piece and exerting all his strength tore it away from the wall he then carried it to the cavern and tossed it upon the burning coals about ten feet away from the end of the passage then he returned for another fragment of rock and wrenching it free from its place he threw it ten feet beyond the first one toward the opposite side of the cave the boy continued this work until he had made a series of stepping stones reaching straight across the cavern to the dark passageway beyond which he hoped would lead him back to safety if not to liberty when his work had been completed inga did not long hesitate to take advantage of his stepping stones for he knew his best chance to escape lay in his crossing the bed of coals before the rocks became so heated that they would burn his feet so he leaped to the first rock and from there began jumping from one to the other in quick succession a withering wave of heat at once enveloped him and for a time he feared he would suffocate before he could cross the cavern but he held his breath to keep the hot air from his lungs and maintained his leaps with desperate resolve then before he realized it his feet were pressing the cooler rocks of the passage beyond and he rolled helpless upon the floor gasping for breath his skin was so red that it resembled the shell of a boiled lobster but his swift motion had prevented his being burned and his shoes had thick soles which saved his feet after resting a few minutes the boy felt strong enough to go on he went to the end of the passage and found that the rock door by which he had left his room was still closed so he returned to about the middle of the corridor and was thinking what he should do next when suddenly the solid rock before him began to move and an opening appeared through which shone a brilliant light shielding his eyes which were somewhat dazzled inga sprang through the opening and found himself in one of the gnome king's inhabited caverns where before him stood king Kaliko with a broad grin upon his features and clink the king's chamberlain who looked surprised and king rinkitink seated astride bilbil the goat both of whom seemed pleased that inga had rejoined them end of chapter 18 show notes check them out that's where you're going to find sponsors and guests and t-shirts and stickers and high fives all right thanks everyone we'll see you later hey everyone thanks again for listening to the show music is by me db spitzer edited and produced by me db spitzer the interview portions are always edited and produced by david heath and hey you can find us wherever you find podcasts so check out pgttcm.com and if you don't want to check out the patreon if you don't want to do that and you want to help out the show just go to sponsors or buy t-shirts or anything like that anything helps thank you again